0: among us as we worship him we've confessed our faith in him then quickly after confessed our sin to him and then we offered ourselves as living sacrifices to him now we have the option and opportunity to call upon him in all of our needs so let us go before the lord calling upon him for the needs of our families but also the church itself will you pray with me Our Heavenly Father, we marvel and revel in your glorious presence this morning. We call upon you, O Lord, to condescend and to hear our prayers as we offer them up to your holy kingdom. We pray, O Lord, for the kingdoms of this earth, though. We thank of our own civil government that you have installed above us. We thank particularly, though, Lord, this morning of those whom you have placed in the seat of judge. There are many judges, O Lord, throughout our lands, many and we pray for all of them now. We pray for our Supreme Court as the highest court in our land, but also the various federal courts and even local courts here found within our own state, county, and city. We pray, O Lord, that you would use these judges, O Lord, to restrain evil in our land, and that in so doing we would be a prosperous nation, but also, O Lord, that you would be honored. You've written the law, your eternal law, in each and every one of our hearts, and we pray, O Lord, that our judiciaries, O Lord, would reflect that law by the manner by which they rule. We pray, O Lord, that the law within our land would be upheld and that it would be upheld, O Lord, according to your eternal word. We though know that this aspiration is often feeble in regards to its perfection, but we do pray, O Lord, and call upon you that justice would be served in our land and that you would use our courts to do so. When our courts fail, O Lord, when justice is not enacted, when wickedness is reveled within our land, we pray, O Lord, that you remind us of your great holiness and what comes there and after. We pray that your holiness, your purity would be evident, O Lord, in our land by your churches. We pray also, O Lord, for the ministries that we support. We think of item this morning, the the ministry, O Lord, that seeks to raise up pastors within their local context throughout the world and that by having natives preach the gospel to their own kind, that many would come to faith. We think of this ministry, O Lord, that we have supported for quite some time, and the minister within our own bounds that leads this. We, we pray, O Lord, for him. But we also pray, O Lord, most particularly for the ministry in India, as he has reminded us of, we pray O oh Lord for the persecuted church there and the ministers that he raises up through this ministry. We pray O oh Lord that as many of them will go back to their own tribes. They'll uh, they will in those ta- those places see great resistance and some will even see death. And so we pray O oh Lord that your your gracious word that is instilled upon these men as they go O oh Lord back To their own tribes, that you would instill within them courage, that you remind them of the calling within Scripture to take up the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ and to lead the way of the gospel in northeast India. We pray, O Lord, for a softening of the heart there, that those who hear the gospel who do not know you, who are idolatrous in their own right as they serve and worship false gods, we pray, O Lord, for a softening there, that through item and ministries like it, that many would come and that India would be transformed for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We also pray, O Lord, for those who are lost within Europe. As we prayed for India, we now turn our heart and attention to the place where we have received faith in many regards, to a mother who is across the sea, who we see reformation from so long ago. We pray, O Lord, for the church there, the wayward church in many regards. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would raise up men and women from our congregation, but, O oh Lord, throughout the Presbyterian church and evangelical world, to send people back to Europe to preach the gospel and to plant churches there. We pray, O oh Lord, for revival in the, within the European Union. And we pray, O oh Lord, that you would use your church, O oh Lord, in a resurgence and renaissance of faith there. A bleak and sad place it has become. And so we pray, O Lord, that your gracious spirit would condescend once more and light and rekindle the fire of reformation and revival there. We also pray, O Lord, for our own church. We pray that we, O Lord, would be a people that are characterized by grace and truth. That we would grow in grace, and as we grow in grace, we would also grow in truth. We pray that for the youngest among us and the most aged among us as well. That throughout our lives, we would be a people that are examples of this great truth in Scripture, that we are to be a people that stand on your grace, that we have unmerited favor in your sight, but also that we grow in the truth and wisdom of the Scriptures as trees planted near a stream, calling upon the Lord Jesus Christ to be a people that reflect the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we pray that our congregation would grow in these great virtues, that we would be a people that grow in the fruits of the Spirit and that by everyone we come in contact with that we would be great examples of christ in grace and truth oh lord we pray for those who are ailing in our congregation we pray oh lord that you would calm us encourage us that you'd provide for us what we need oh lord in order to persevere well in the faith lord you've not promised us in your scripture happy days but you'd Promised us, O Lord, your sufficient spirit in order to persevere even through the most difficult circumstances. And so we call upon your spirit to join this congregation today for those who are ailing, those who are downcast, those who are feeling beaten by the world. We pray, O Lord, that you would send them your spirit and that in the Lord's Supper today, that you would give them a great portion of grace and mercy. We thank you, O Lord, and we call upon your name now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I invite you to turn with me now in your scriptures to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. You'll have noted that our passages in the Old Testament and New Testament related to Elijah. And you may have wondered why we are reading from Elijah, perhaps until the final verse of matthew that we read today that when the lord jesus christ talked about john the baptist he also related him closely to the prophet elijah and so for the next couple weeks or so as we deal with the birth of both our savior jesus christ and the birth of elijah himself i thought it would be good to read both the narratives of elijah but also the narrative of elisha because in the new testament those two names go together like bread and butter they go together in the lord jesus christ and his forerunner john the baptist elijah and elijah there are two great close counterparts as we see in john the baptist and our savior jesus christ and so we'll spend the next couple of weeks reading through those narratives in the old testament to see what the new testament is connecting with those great Old Testament prophets. But today we are in the annunciation, the announcement, I should say, of the coming of the forerunner of Christ, the one who would be known as John the Baptist. This great announcement narrative seeks to prepare us then for what comes after, preparing the way of the Lord for us as well as the people who read the Gospel of John. This first announcement, is to call us to get ready for the Lord Jesus Christ. How do we get ready? Well, we must first prepare ourselves for the coming messenger that will further prepare us. Therefore, stand then as we hear from Luke chapter 1, picking up in verse 25. We'll read 20 verses here in Luke chapter 1. This is the word of God. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah, of the division of abijah and he had a wife from the daughters of aaron and her name was elizabeth and they were both righteous before god walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the lord but they had no child because elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years now while he was serving as a priest before god when the division was on duty according to the custom of the priesthood he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense and the whole multitude of the priests were praying outside of uh, outside at the hour of incense and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense and Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him and the angel said to him do not be afraid Zechariah for your prayer to the lord their god and he will go before him in the spirit of the power of elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready the lord a people prepared and Zechariah said to the angel how shall i know this for i am an old man and my wife is advanced in many years. And the angel answered it, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things have taken place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, He was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people." This ends our Gospel reading and this is the Word of God you may be seated I'm a person that likes to be ready ready for anything and everything I when I was thinking about this passage and Zechariah and his call to be ready before the Lord I remembered a time when I was in college we had one of my favorite topics to study when I was in college was history and my first semester of history was great the professor was vibrant, young, ready to teach. His exams were very straightforward, easy to follow, and in many ways easy to ace. But Christianity and Western culture too, my second history class that I had to take, was not so. Though the professor was a magnificent and bright and brilliant mind, I rarely understood him. It was hard to prepare for the test. One of his favorite sayings, just to give you a taste, Of the lessons that we received was this when talking about the medieval church it was a sacerdotal sacramental system grounded in canon law dr mcduffie said this phrase once every single class i had memorized it It has been written upon my heart i know it i know it well whether we be talking about the renaissance art or science itself it was a sacerdotal sacramental system grounded in canon law i have no idea what that means i still don't i've studied it i've memorized it i think i had to write it word by word on one of my exams but you can get the type of exam we received in mr mduffy's class it was brutal Every exam was brutal. It was based on a book of Christianity by Gonzalez. That was hundreds and hundreds of pages. And every quarter we would take a quarterly exam. That was over hundreds of those pages. And on the most minute details, I remember studying and readying myself profusely. What I didn't know in the class, actually, was that there was this thing called a quizlet that was circulating with all the answers to the exam. And so my classmates, 300 plus of them, all taken on to the online tool at all the questions and all the right answers. It even gave all A, B, C, and D in that Quizlet and it bolded the right answer. So 300 students came in thinking they were ready, but this mischievous author of this Quizlet decided to do something smart. This was a student from a previous year. He decided to purposely answer number 50 on that exam incorrectly in his study guide. Instead of being B, he put C. And so 300 plus students came in, took that exam, aced it, except for question number 50. They thought they were ready, and they were not. Mr. McDuffie came in blazing in anger, wondering what had happened in my class. How did they have all of my answers, and why did they all choose the wrong one for number 50? He was angry. Sometimes when we think we're ready, we're not really ready. Fortunately for me, to my own delight, I did not know of the Quizlet. I got many questions wrong in that exam. And that was the first time ever I was excited for my B. Because I knew that at least I wasn't the rest. We need to be ready. In our passage this morning, we have a relatively unknown family in Scripture. You get the the grandiose introduction here of the king, the great King Herod of Judah. But he is not the main focal point. Instead, it is focusing in on this one small family. A family that would be promised great works in the kingdom of God through the son, the son John. They had in this time a Levitical group that would go into the the temple every year. It was almost ingrained within their culture what their jobs were within. This was one of those unknown families called by God to go into the temple to receive the coming message of an angel for the promise of God in the world. But what we'll notice in this Passage and throughout this whole passage is that though the people think they are ready for a Messiah, they truly are not. Not even Zechariah, who is noted as a righteous, holy man of God, is ready to receive the great news that they have all waited for. The Israelite people have waited for hundreds of years for a Messiah to come. As those people waited outside praying while the burning of incense took place, they hoped. And they prayed that a a, a priest would come out and say, I have had a vision of the coming Messiah. I have great news. He is coming. But what you see in this peculiar story is though the vision comes, it is never stated. Though the vision comes, it is never stated. It is because the people themselves are not ready. They must become ready. And that readiness comes through the work of John that prepares the way for the Savior. Maybe today, at worst, you're like the Israelites in this passage, outside of, of the temple, inner sanctum, praying, come Messiah, come, but you do not know what you pray. You're not ready. You may think to yourself, I, I want to be a Christian. But I want things to kind of stay the same. I like my life how it is now. But maybe you're like Zachariah, you're faithful, you're righteous, yet given the circumstances, you may doubt. You've prayed all your life for something, and it seems not to have come to fruition. Zachariah and and Elizabeth here in this passage, they pray and pray, and now they're aged, they're old. They've always wanted a child and yet not have one. I'm sure Elizabeth, as as her husband went away to the temple, said, remember to pray the prayer. Pray for us to have a child. And I'm assuming as we read Zechariah's response here, though he may have even prayed it, he did not believe it. Though a righteous and good man, sometimes we can have doubts for what the Lord has promised us. Maybe you're here today, and the promises of the Lord are before your face, and you respond like Zechariah, how shall I know this? Today, We are called to get ready for Jesus. Here's how people got ready for Jesus in Luke chapter 1 here. The first thing they did was they looked to the past. How do you get ready for Jesus? Yes, yes, Jesus has been born. Luke is obviously writing after the fact in this whole message, but it is still applicable. How did God's people and how do God's people get ready for Jesus? They must look to the past. Look at verse 5 with me. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, the priest named Zechariah, the division of Abijah, and he and his wife from the daughters of Aaron, whose name was Elizabeth. You might say, seem like, well, what does this have to do with the past? Well, there are two connection points. Uh, uh, Luke is actually, after he starts his New Testament gospel in a very Greco-Roman style, he then actually takes it back to the Old Testament. If you look at the book of Isaiah, you see that how Luke starts this section is like an Old Testament prophet. Isaiah said, the vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which is concerning Judah and Jerusalem, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, king of Judah. There is a striking re- uh, resemblance that Luke is trying to draw a Gentile people backwards. In order to know the Christ to come, he must know where he's coming from. And so he must go to the Old Testament. It's so interesting. It seems that the most significant part of this passage is not the king who is reigning over, though he is great, as Luke says. That's not the most important part of this story. It is those insignificant names, those names that if Luke and a few other gospel writers didn't mention, you'd not know the names of, the parents of John the Baptist, Elizabeth, Zachariah, Zacharias, and some of your translations are called to this great noble task. They are called to fulfill what the Old Testament has called them to fulfill. Well, what is it that they call them to? Well, you see that in the passage that this is a barren land. A barren land represented by a barren wife. I want you to note that Elizabeth and Zechariah are righteous yet barren. This is reminding us of Malachi and the various prophets that talked about there being a holy remnant within the land who call upon God, yet their land itself is barren. Elizabeth is an emblem of Israel itself. Though she be righteous herself, she be barren in a barren land. Any woman who's ever wanted a child must know what Elizabeth has gone through in this passage. The the, the prying questions that you could endure the insensitive remarks, the sharp pangs of the desire to have perhaps someone else's baby, the nagging doubts of the goodness of God. But for Elizabeth, it was even worse than a barren wife. Kent Hughes says this in his commentary, in any culture, infertility is an aching disappointment, and for some, an almost unbearable stress. But the burden cannot be compared to uh, to that born by childless women in ancient Israel because barrenness was often considered a disgrace and even punishment of God. You think of what Elizabeth's life must have amounted to as they prayed and prayed hard for a child and yet never had one. Not only was it to their own pain, but they were cast aside. They must have done something to deserve what they have. But if you look to the past, You're reminded regularly in the Old Testament that God uses barren women to bring about his purposes. You think of women like Sarah who struggled to conceive a child for Abraham. You think of perhaps Leah who struggled to conceive a child for Jacob. Leah would call in her years, this is her affliction. There are many others throughout the Old Testament. The barrenness that God uses from righteous women for his own purposes they often conceive. And so though Elizabeth might be shamed if she looks to the past and her family looks to the past, they can see that perhaps this is the time that God will work in his people. If she looks to the past, she can recognize that while she is righteous and it is true that God could use her life and he does. Drawing from Malachi and the barrenness of the people cannot be explained away. Elizabeth's affliction is Israel's affliction, and it can be ours as well. And so the purpose and life looking to the past of Elizabeth and and, uh, of Zechariah and as being Israelites in the land, there is a, a stirring then, a stirring that should point them to God himself, leading them to repentance. And that's what the life of John would lead to. How do you cure the barrenness of the land? It is through the ministry of John that prepares the way for Jesus Christ himself. They are to be prepared in repentance as their son will call them to repentance. And notice this work as it i will only do three connections to the Old Testament. I could do five, six, or seven. I was telling the elders will only do three. The last is as they look past on the age-old sacrifice. What is is zachariah's job he is called to go into the temple and to burn incense i have referenced this in quite a few sermons the idea of the people going into the temple burnt offerings can kind of smell bad you don't want to deal with them so how do you how do you make them pleasing in the sight of god yes you douse them in wine but you burn incense around them so that as the people who are praying outside they smell the incense they smell the pleasing aroma what was burnt in sin, now has a pleasing smell to it in Christ and God. So Zachariah's job is an important job. He is to make the burnt offering smell pleasing. It's a great job. It's a great job that he is called to by drawing lots in the kingdom. I don't want to get ahead of myself, though, but we also must look to the past. That's the purpose here. Perhaps you have gone through difficulty. Perhaps you are like, in many regards, Zachariah and and Elizabeth. You've prayed, prayed many prayers over your life and you've wondered how they would be responded to. You must have concluded that maybe they'll never be responded to. We must look to the past. God has done mighty and great works in every one of our lives as we call upon him. Look to the past this is what paul does in first corinthians 12 as he is struggling he looks to the past and also to the future looks to the past of god's great work in his life and looks to the future of god's great promised celebration for him you must look to the past remember the works of god in your life remember those times when the lord had revealed great truth to you that you had great opportunity in the lord jesus christ to conquer sin Look to the past and recall in your own life in those great opportunities when the Lord stirred your spirit to conversion. Look to the past, but look even further than that. Look to the past of other believers. Look to the past found in the New Testament and the Old Testament. God who promises good things will bring about those good things. In order to be ready for Christ, we must look to the past. But we also... As this passage in its body reveals, we must expect the unexpected. For those who look to the past, they'll realize that the God that works in their life is a God that brings about the unexpected, the impossible, as it were. It was no ordinary day for Zachariah. As he kissed his wife goodbye, he said, I'm going to the temple to do a task that only one of us gets to do all year long. It was a great, honored privilege. He was not on toilet duty this week. He was on a great and championed work. In many regards, Zachariah has found the golden ticket. He's found the golden ticket where he gets to enter a part of the temple. Very few got to enter. It was a high honor, a high privilege. Reminds me of Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. The factory is closed for some great time. But whoever gets a golden ticket gets to enter to have this once-in-a-lifetime experience. As Zechariah left his wife, I'm sure he was joyed because this is not an ordinary day for him. It was an extraordinary day. It was an unexpected day. As a kid, he may have wondered to himself, maybe one day I'll be able to enter that part of the temple. He was a Levite. This is the day they lived for. Many kids in our own culture may desire to be president or something similar. Levites, what they longed for and envisioned was this task that Zechariah was given. It was a privileged task. It was a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Once he did this once, he would never do it again. If you notice that Zechariah is from the tribe, Abijah, there are 24 of these divisions, and as good organized Levites, they would be, perfectly prepared for the task that was before them. They had a perfect calendar that rotated every year. Actually, they know when Jesus was born as it relates to the month of December is because of these divisions. Because if Zechariah was from Abijah, he must have went into the temple in this month. And if he went into the temple in this month and his wife was conceived of a child in this month, then this must be when Jesus is born since both Mary. And Elizabeth were pregnant at the same time. They, they calculated it all. This is how precise the Levites were; they all had their perfect work laid before them in immortalized schedules. It was mundane in many regards, but not for about, not for Zechariah here today. He got the great job of going in and burning those incense. As he entered the temple into so this holy place, the priests around him would be praying for him. They'd be praying that he would receive a vision from God They would wait for him in an expectant joy that as he would come out, he would deliver great news. But it has been 400 years. They have prayed and prayed and prayed. They have waited and waited and waited and silence and silence and silence would come from the temple. They would have prayed around him, but how much would they have believed in those prayers? you'd have expected to begin, been given a report after. I also want you to sense, though, as Zachariah would climb those steps, there would be a wavering nature of it. He was about to do a job that was so serious that if he messed it up, he might end up like Nadab and Abihu, burned and crisp with the altar of sacrifice itself. And so there was a gravity of his work. He, in many regards, would go up nervous, Sometimes as I enter the pulpit, I enter nervously because of the call of such a task. But this was even greater than that in some regards. Not greater, but it was a more special act in that it was a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. He did not want to mess this up. So as he entered, he saw all the furnishings that were written in the book of Moses. It would have been familiar in some sense, but new. He did his task, which you'd think would only take an hour, but it took longer this time. Why did it take longer? Because an angel appeared. A task that every Levitical priest, as they prepared to go in, would be taught to look out for. Wait for the priest. As you burn the incense and offer sacrifice to God, wait for the angel. Wait for him. And it would have been so long that they would have been like, yeah, yeah, right, okay, we get there. There There's supposed to be an angel, but he hasn't shown his face for hundreds of years. But today he did. It was... Frightening. Though he was told to expect it from his own childhood, it was frightening. And the angel seeks to calm him. And what does he say in verse 13? Do not be afraid, Zachariah, for your prayer has been heard. What prayer? The prayer that his wife has conceived. But even greater than that, the prayer that the people are praying outside right now is being answered the prayer of generations that have come forth in this hour of incense time and time again is being answered. You are getting two fulfillments here. Your wife, who may be aged, will bear a child just like Abraham, just like Jacob. But even more than that, that child will be special. He will give you joy, as the angel said. But what does he say in 15? He will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink strong drink. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even in his mother's womb. One of Presbyterians' favorite verses is that this great prophet of the Lord leapt with joy at the presence of his Savior, knowing his Savior even from conception, seeing the grace of God even in the youngest among us in the work of John, but his calling is even greater. He will be the one that prepares way for the Lord. To understand what John's work is, I don't want to over-explain it, otherwise a few sermons from now you will get a recapitulation of that. I'll just have to repeat myself, so I don't want to do that. But what Elijah, or what John's work is, is like Elijah. What did Elijah do? He called the people to repentance. He revealed their sin. He said, you are a sinful and wicked people. This is what Elijah did. Therefore, repent and believe in the true and living God. That is the same type of ministry that John would have. Repent and believe. Judgment is coming. Prepare the way for a successor, Elisha and Jesus, who'd bring a ministry of renewal and grace. After judgment and calling to repentance, renewal and grace will come, and that renewal will come through John's successor, the one who is greater than him because he is... Before him, in other words, John is the forerunner. He is the one that prepares the land. He prepares the barren land to receive the Lord Jesus Christ. That is who John was. He was like the sports announcer that announces the team as they come to the field to take place. I love the Blackhawks, and I, I know that may be a sin among you, but I, I love the Blackhawks. And a decade ago, I used to love listening as the the Hawks would come the ice as the announcer would announce them, uh, Taze, Sharp, Kane, Seabrook, Crawford, and the crowd would just lose their minds. They would. The announcer would also reference their numbers so that you knew, just in case you'd forgotten, that it has slipped your mind over the last year or so watching them, you'd be reminded of who you see on the ice. He's an announcer. That's what John is. He's an announcer so that when you look to the field, when you see the people at play, you will recognize the Savior that is to come. John the Baptist is preparing a way for Jesus. Expect the unexpected. An expected day turns unexpected when John sees the angel and it changes his entire trajectory for his life. Expect the unexpected. Today, you can expect the unexpected. Even if you've prayed long prayers that seem that they've not been answered, you can expect unexpected. Be unexpected and you should you should expect that the lord will work that in the days of your youth when you've seen the lord jesus christ and were converted unto him you should still continue today to expect the unexpected because that is what prepares you for the lord jesus christ that god doesn't work how you want him to work he's not always predictable i'm a guy of systems i like everything to be in straight order A to B, B to C, C to D. Sometimes and often, God doesn't work by my own boxes. Sometimes he shuffles them up a bit. Sometimes he creates new boxes that I'm not ready for. Expect the unexpected and have confidence that the Lord will bring about his good purposes. Get ready for Jesus. Look to the past, expect the unexpected, but finally, In order to get ready for Jesus, you have to wait for his revelation. That's the final point. That's what Zechariah waited for. That's what the people in the court waited for. That's what his wife waited for as she would wait for him to come home, waiting for the revelation. This is where we find Zechariah's sin in verse 18. How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in many years. He makes one mistake. He opens his mouth, and he says, how can I be sure? Whenever somebody asks in the Bible this question, they are given a sign. God gives them a sign. It is a gracious act. When the Israelites ask for food, it rains down. They get that sign. If they ask for water, it comes forth from the rock. They are given a sign. You think of when Abraham asks for a child, he is given a sign, a painful one at that. The sign of the blood over the doorways of the people of Israel to protect the firstborn. God gives a sign when, when, when the people ask. Sometimes it's a sign that they want and other times it's a sign they do not want. I'm assuming this sign is the latter. He is forced to be quiet. You want to believe me? The angel says, well then you will lose your voice. Cat will have your tongue until the birth of your child. Imagine, imagine, the struckness the awestruckness of the people as they waited outside they perhaps wondered what had happened to this priest that went in there are only two things that could happen i think as they prayed either the lord killed him struck him down because he did something incorrectly or he is having a vision with god he's having a divine experience that will be revealed to us momentarily imagine as he comes outside and they say oh he's not dead Maybe that's what they probably expected. They were taking odds at that point. You know, what's the over-under? And that he comes out within the next hour. I don't think he's ever coming out, they would have thought. But when they saw him, they waited in eager anticipation. It's been hours. And here he is. He's going to give us the message finally. And they realize he is dumbstruck, unable to communicate. We, we take for granted our paper, our technology. We can type out and write down massive thoughts. Everything we think is not as accessible in the ancient world. He couldn't just go on to Facebook, Twitter, TikTok. He, there's no means of communication in that. He would be able to write in sand with his finger. Perhaps if he could conjure up some parchment, he could write some things down. But it would be incredibly vague. I'm sure as his wife received him in his home, she'd be waiting in an eager anticipation. How did the inner temple look? How was your day? Why are you so late? What did you tell the people? Nothing. It had been an extraordinary experience. It reveals quite greatly the unexpected. The people expected to receive the announcement of the Messiah on those steps that Zachariah stood. And yet that is not how God would work. They would have to wait. And they would have to wait not in the temple for this announcement, but outside. It shows the nature of God moving away from The physical temple there within israel to the lord jesus christ as the temple himself no longer will the people gather in that temple to receive that word waiting in eager expectation for the coming messiah they must go elsewhere they must wait for the revelation we have a voiceless priest it seems so antithetical that the one sign that the angel would give about the coming good news of the Messiah would be a voiceless priest. And yet the Lord chooses. And I think he chooses this way, yes, perhaps because of Zachariah's sin, but the greater providence of this is because the people themselves are not yet ready. They are not yet ready. Though they have waited hundreds of years, they are not yet ready to receive this great and good news. I don't know about you, but I hate waiting. I hate waiting. Every time I go into a doctor's office, dental office, I hate waiting. They never get me in on time. They don't value my time as much as I value their time. I hate waiting. The people had to wait another year and then another perhaps even decade and, and 30 years as the Lord himself would grow up. It would take years I'm sure by the time that the Lord Jesus Christ is born, but then in the start of his ministry 30 years later, Zechariah and Elizabeth are long forgotten. You remember that crazy priest that lost his voice that one time in the temple? Whatever happened to him? That's the kind of conversation I would expect. They forget about it. They forget about the anticipation. They must have written him off. Oh yeah, they were barren and mad. No kids, no voice written off but the Lord uses the unexpected, voiceless priest. Think of the joy that would come when that baby John was born, a name that not even his wife perhaps knew would be given the name for. The angel named this child and set him aside in order for a ministry to prepare the way for God. It would take many, many months for even the first vision of this to be revealed, to his wife first and then to those who would listen. They must wait for revelation. That revelation we see comes true as Elizabeth herself, as she would have been so confused as her husband came home and tried the best he could to communicate that she would be conceiving a child soon. It would have been confusing. You'd have been mad, you've lost your voice and your mind that it would come to pass. We must wait sometimes for a revelation. And sometimes that revelation, as was revealed in the scripture most often, comes long and hard. It takes months and years. The Lord has given us graciously a revelation that we have to trust in, but sometimes as the Lord uses this word, it takes long for it to saturate our hearts and lives. I recall the life of Abraham. Sometimes when you're reading the book of Genesis, I know we studied it, and you fly through perhaps the, the life of Abraham, verses, or chapters 13 to 20-something. You fly through it, and it seems every chapter, Abraham is receiving an image and vision and revelation from God. But I have bad news for you in this regard, is that Abraham lived 175 years. And I'm sure that every time that the angel of the Lord appeared before Abraham... It was written down. And so in those eight or so chapters, there are six appearances of God to Abraham. In 175 years of a man, he has communed and spoke with God six times. It kind of gives you empathy for the man. You wonder, why is he so impatient with the Lord? It's been decades since he's promised me a child, and yet I have no child. What we read in but a few chapters is decades and decades of Abraham's life he doubts wouldn't you doubt sometimes we're called to the life of Abraham to wait to wait long as the Lord reveals himself to us how do you get ready for the Lord Jesus Christ you look to the past of course you expect the unexpected but sometimes you have to wait you have to wait for him You call upon him like the good Jewish Israelite in the temple, but you do so from a genuine heart, a longing, a desire. But you may have to wait. The hardest thing, especially in our own culture where instant gratification is so cherished and loved. Not in the scriptures. We must wait. Are you ready to receive Christ today? Sure, the advent of Christ is here. We already know that. Luke has revealed that he has lived 2,000 years ago. They are an evangelistic appeal today. If you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, are you ready to receive him? Well, I call you to look to the past. Look to the past of God's people throughout all ages to call upon him. Learn from the people of God. Are you ready to receive him today? If you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. But for those who are in Christ this morning, a table is prepared for us. Yes, we receive the Lord Jesus Christ in his scriptures as the the apostle John lays way for him to come. But today we have a great opportunity to receive the Lord himself. Today you've waited for this. To receive Christ himself. To receive the blood that is sprinkled upon you that cleanses you. To receive the body broken for you that you might have life in him. Have you received the Lord today? Will you receive him then? At the table. You've waited. Now we come to feast. Let us close in prayer. Pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for today that as we gather, we gather in great eager expectation, not like a student who cuts corners for an exam, but as those who prepare our hearts and minds to receive the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, for any who do not know you, we pray, O Lord, that you'd soften their hearts this morning, that today, They might not know a day apart from you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.